Hi, welcome to Suffer Strong Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome back. Today, we are going to be talking about redefining community, the power of we. I guess we over me. Is yes. That what we said? Yes, absolutely. Love what it. is so cool to me We've about me. this chapter of the book and thus this episode of the podcast is that this wasn't actually something we sought out to write separately. It was woven into various chapters. And our book editor was like, so this is a full-on separate chapter mm-hmm. of this of this incredible lessons learned story is the power of community. And I think it's actually, I'm glad that she said that. Me because, too, uh, yeah. Now looking back, I think it, it would have been missing without having a whole separate chapter, not only just dedicated to community, but really honoring what community has meant to us in this process of redefining and, and truly community is the framework through which we redefine. So I think that's, that was our original sort of ideas that, oh, this is pervasive in every chapter and and it still is, but um, it was worth creating sort of this separate focal point um, to say that we in this redefining process need to redefine how we think about doing life together. And yeah, that's what this chapter is about. And I really love this chapter. Me too. And in many ways, what this chapter does is help us really look back significantly in our story and trace the power of community Mm -hmm. through the thread of the stroke and disability after the stroke in our lives. And really like even from childhood to really reach back and recognize how much community has been around us and come come around us yeah. and how, you know, we, we definitely have not done everything right in um, our tragedy. However, one thing we have done really right is cling to community mm-hmm. and let people in. And so, of course, we'd write about the power of community because we have really walked in community through our trial and not isolated. So sure. it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because it wasn't on our radar, you know? Right, right, right. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting to look back. We both came from loving communities, loving families, grew up in the church, had that kind of structure around us. Um, and then when we got married, moved to California where there was a, a lot of unknowns. We didn't know really anybody there, had no structure to jump into other than the church universal, you know, to say, hey, there's probably a community there we can find. Um, and we found a church that first Sunday we moved to LA and kind of something interesting happened that's very opposite of what most people assume would happen when you move to somewhere like Los Angeles, California, that you would in fact find a much more deeper experience of community and faith than ever before. And it surprised us too, I think, in a lot of ways. But the reality is we had to choose it. We had to intentionally seek it out. We had to invest and give our life sacrificially to this cause of community. And that changes everything. Sometimes when it's just, you know, a given and it's just, you know, something you don't really have to think about or work for, you take it for granted. For sure. And you don't get the real, true, deep experience of it. And so we went to this church, Bel Air Prez in LA, our first Sunday. We jumped into this group, this young marriage group, ended up leading it randomly since we were like 22 and not really the marriage experts of all time. But anyway, God was allowing us to jump into that season before right. the stroke Right. Um, when I was in law school. 
and um, you know to really think about the harder issues of marriage and to and to do life together with other people. A lot of other uh, folks had been transplanted from all over the country. They didn't have family either. They were there for different dreams or callings, and it fast forwarded our relationship in this really powerful way, so that we whom had not known each other for long at all, all of a sudden felt like this family. Right. Powerful experience for us. Well, and and now moving back to the South and having been from the South, we see so clearly that the reason that California experience happens is since everybody moves from all over the country, it's like you've got to meet each other's family, which, yeah. I mean, what is so beautiful about the South, and it can make you kind of lazy in some ways, so it's not always an awesome thing, but many times. An incredible thing is that families are all in the same community, so you are naturally doing life with your people, yeah. and um, definitely gets you outside your comfort zone to make new friends, but it's very powerful in yeah. sort of an electrifying um, like pool that you're in together or something. I can't help but think of our camp community. I know I'm jumping mm-hmm. ahead, but similarly, something about a connection that is deep where there is need of any kind, there is just, just this fast-forwarding element mm-hmm. that is so beautiful in community. Well, I think that is what it what you're trying to get at is that there's this desperation right that there's this need that is the glue that really creates the the strongest kind of community i think we found that in our camp we found that in church settings yeah even yeah, family of totally. course in some way but um what i also have have wondered you know we talk about tithing right in the church we talk about the need to sacrifice intentionally in order to be a part of something bigger, um, to invest in the kingdom of God, to invest in the work of the church. And that's that's sort of talked about in those terms that we have to be willing to sacrifice. And yet we don't talk about community that way, but how much more so do we have to sacrifice right. in order to create something yeah, that is transcendent, yeah. like community? And, um, you know, what's sad is people just aren't usually willing to do that. <laughs> they want to have that experience of not being alone and being able to have people who would help and, and come you know, to their aid, no matter what happens. And yet they're not willing to invest on the front end into the lives of others and to show up consistently. And, you know, for us, that season of early marriage in the church, in our young marriage group, in the small group that we have, we had a small group in LA that met for over 10 years. In certain seasons, we met weekly even and really learned about this choosing of a community that is so powerful and deep. And, um, you know, when we when the bottom fell out of our life, that community showed up for us. And it wasn't because we sat on the back row and sort of dipped out before the service was over and never did anything or showed up. It's because right, we, yeah. we gave our lives to this cause and, and to the church, really. And it did exactly what it's supposed to do. It's when we needed it, when, there, when a need rose up in the community, the whole community comes to its aid and lifts that person up. And that's, that's our experience. And that's right. the, the real beauty of the body of Christ, too. And with and that, with that all said, there can definitely be um, pain inflicted by sure. a lot of community when you are going through tragedy. Kind of the opposite side of that right. is um, if you're putting too much weight maybe in what these sweet, clueless people sometimes are saying, it can be horrific because they, um, you know, I think people 
truly mean well, either people intimately in your life, in your community, or strangers at the grocery store, when they um, try to make your situation better or say the right thing or, you know, visit you at the hospital and make you feel worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever it is, um, I think there needs to be permission um, to say, yeah, it's really hard to engage people at all when you're going through um, terribly hard stuff and the bottom falls out as well. It's in the same breath. Community well, yeah. comes around you, but they can also really wound you. No, it's not free, right? I mean, it's, it's oh, yeah. not without bumping into other fallible human beings who are trying to figure out how to do life together. And For I sure. think um, that is part of the, the possibility is that you make yourself vulnerable in the community and you're maybe going to get hurt. And so many people think it's better just to be isolated and alone and not have that possibility. And yet, then you miss out on the healing possibility. For sure. And I think even those hard, well-intended, but poorly timed or worded um, experiences with other people in the community when you're hurting and you hear those words that are that are painful or that are just the poor timing or whatever, that is also part of our healing process. And that sounds a little strange to say. No, I'm talking. We don't want to imagine that healing might come through hurting, right? That wounding could be the avenue through healing. But how much more strength do we gain when we process with empathy, even when we're hurting and somebody says something stupid to us? Right. You know what? That's not going to crush me. You know what? Um, I'm stronger than I, I feel right now. Right. And you know what? I can look outside of my own pain and not just have like such frustration and annoyance towards this person. I can look at them with empathy and with love. And that is a huge opportunity for healing. Right. So, Because um, at the end of the day, we in our healing don't want our hearts to get hard. We don't want to get bitter. We don't want to get apathetic. We actually right. want to stay vulnerable. We want to stay soft in our hearts. I think even maybe Brene Brown says soft front tough back or you know that you've heard sort of these well, dynamics um, before or you may have heard or, Catherine or Wolf Catherine say it um you know good old Renee yeah cool nobody Catherine invented this this is probably from like says, middle, um, medieval thick times thick skin soft heart thick skin soft heart thick skin soft heart that's, that's the key same don't idea. become bitter um but recognize yeah that you're gonna have to put on some tough skin and engage the world um you know kind of through like tenderness and compassion because they're nervous and I mean I I remember especially the first few years after the stroke before I'd really learned how to just not really look in the face of other people in the grocery store at how they're staring at me Hmm. or how they're like trying to figure out what's going on or if I'm not in my wheelchair and kind of hobbling around, people are so confused or, you know, all the things. And I can remember feeling very sort of damaged. Like, how could someone wreck my day that way? Or, you know, I mean, the classic, I'm sure you remember, of the most scarring comments was, you used to be so beautiful. That was a really special one early on. (laughs) Remember that one? And truly like... Thank you. What universe... Would a normal person think that was an appropriate yeah, thing to yeah, say no to kidding. another person, yeah. much less given what you've been through? But, you know, uh, people people would rather fill silence with stupidity or right. with hurtful words right. or just with any meaningless words yeah. than just sit in silence For and sure. sit I'm looking worst- at another person who's hurting and, and just sit with them in that. And that just speaks more to, I think, our 
humanity and our even our culture of wanting to just fill the silence, not have to hear oh. what God might be speaking in the silence, not have to witness another person's pain. And For sure. uh, we just need to just chill out. Less words are the best words we often say. Yeah. And um, I two two thoughts as well. I love now, Catherine, that you in Target in the grocery store, you see a younger person in a wheelchair, you see somebody with a clear disability. Oh yeah. I can't even stop Catherine from running over to them and just saying, Hi, like, what's your name? What's your story? And it's so precious because you take in that earlier <laughs> experience of feeling a lot of shame and a lot of um, self-consciousness as strangers looked at you or kids looked at you, you know, when you were just learning to be in your new skin with right. these disabilities yeah. and the pain of that. And now you've, you've upended that to now offer to those same people struggling, uh, somebody looking them in the eye and offering them dignity and, and care and love. Um, the other just quick side note that I'm thinking of is this idea that we call souls board of directors. Right. Totally. So we have so many voices swirling around from random strangers, from even well-meaning people in your life and your community who can, can hurt you with their words or God forbid somebody online, some troll, some just like person with not a lot else going on who's been hurt and is hurting people. Yeah. Okay. So there's all these voices that we could internalize and be you know, just overwhelmed by maybe we are doing stuff wrong. Maybe we are, you know, worthless. Maybe we shouldn't be putting ourselves out there in this way and should just retreat. What we need to all find, and we already have it, we just have to name these people, is who is on our soul's board of directors. Right. And what's beautiful about a soul's board of directors is you totally get to choose. Right. Like, you know, it's not as if you're always, and I've had a lot of therapy to say this with confidence, it doesn't have to be who you thought it was going to be when you were a little girl. Sure. You get to decide whose voices you listen to in your adult life. It's very beautiful. And maybe it's your family. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's totally um, people younger than you. Maybe it just who do you know loves you, has unstoppable goodwill towards you, and right. whose advice and wisdom you can listen to wholeheartedly, even if it's hard, even if it's um, telling you, you know what, you need to get thicker skin. Right. You know what, Catherine, like, you, you did make a mistake here and that's okay. For but sure. I want you to know that in love. And um, so then you can trust those voices and say, right. you know what, I can kind of uh, dismiss with empathy and compassion some of these other people who are hurt, maybe who are saying things that have hurt me, but I don't have to internalize those. Right. Um, I want to be vulnerable and fully known and fully uh, receive the wisdom from people who I have chosen to receive it. From. The key is to, especially when when I feel like absorbing a lot of hard stories of other people. Um, for anyone in ministry, for sure, is mm-hmm. to, in my opinion, empathize deeply with where they are, what they're going through. But don't internalize. So you're staying up at night um, and you can't sleep thinking about what they're going through. So I think empathize mm-hmm. but not internalize is really, I most definitely have not arrived at that, but I long to. I think that's what Jesus was able to do is go really deep and, and feel it with them, weep with them. Mm-hmm. But don't be like you're you're wrecked by their experience. Sure. And can't function or something. Right. That reminds me too of just 
what people often ask us about coming alongside people who are grieving and who are suffering in those hospital waiting room kind of scenarios, like how do we recommend people entering in? What's, you know, advice that we can give people that we get that question a lot. We also get people saying, Hey, my loved one, you know, or my friend or my boss's daughter, like is in the hospital. Like, can you come give them hope? Yeah, Which is really humbling and sweet, but um, we say no, because, you know, in those kind of circumstances, you want people you're in relationship with and in community with to not tell you the thing that you need in that moment or you think they need to get their head around about the bigger picture and purpose of suffering and hope in the world and what God's doing. That's not what we need right. in the acute moments of our pain. We need right. somebody to come and show up in body to say, you're not alone here. And, and I'm we're not talking gonna... several years of that, you yeah, know? I mean, it's different for everybody, but so often, again, this speaks to maybe the fact that we don't want awkward silence to sit and witness somebody's pain. We'd rather fill it with some dumb words that might actually end up hurting them. It's sort of similar. We want when somebody's hurt, oh my gosh, can you get in there and help them not give up? And it's like, right. you know what? They may need to get to the edge of their almost giving up right. to find their own reason that they need to keep on living. And I'm, I can't really, as a stranger, you know, I can offer some things to them through my experience. And I, you know, you and I have a hard hard one sort of wisdom and um, platform, I guess, that we can speak into some people's lives who are going through hard stuff. But at the same token, they need their people who they're doing life with to come and show up and to weep with them and to mourn with them and to then rejoice when they're rejoicing and live that life with them. And then when the time is right, there is some some maybe more truth and some wisdom to be shared. A hundred percent. And I would think, I mean, very rarely do people need any discussion of the purpose of suffering yet or the lessons learned in the darkness. Right. I've learned, and this is after years of sitting at hospital beds beside them and talking to people on the phone and ministering deeply, that the best thing I can do is shut my big mouth, Mm -hmm. let them weep and cry. But at the same token, let them tell their story. Mm -hmm. The people who have hurt me the most post-stroke are the people who don't want to acknowledge what's happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's actually my personality, actually. I think that's a deep need every human has to feel remotely known. And pain can put you under. You feel like you're buried alive, like no one remotely understands. I can't even talk about it. And they're not asking me about it. So it's now this massive elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the very most pain I've experienced, I won't go into details, um, has been when people who are close to me do not even acknowledge what's happened, don't Mm -hmm. acknowledge I've had a stroke or that there's anything going on in my life. And I could cry talking about it because it's so awful to feel like, how could you not come with me in this? I didn't choose this, but for you to willingly not come on board is like an extra, like, slice of pain and I didn't really need that while I'm already really hurting. I think what's interesting too is you are a very, very strong woman and you... Right, and it seemed like I don't need that. Yeah, you articulate well and you communicate hope and yet you're human. Right. You've been through horrible, hard things that have changed who you are to your core. And so I think it's worth noting even people who are resilient and who are hopeful and who are strong 
are still might have a broken heart. They still might have wounds that need oh, yeah. tending to. And in certain seasons, you know, you might have gone years and, it, you know, this is your life. And yet something happened to you one ordinary day or an anniversary oh. hit you and oh, you just goodness. be goodness. overwhelmed. Yeah. With, and there's with triggers. Loss. Yeah. You know, I won't, I won't share any specifics of this story either because I would never want to be hurtful. But I had to have an aneurysm removed five years after the stroke. And, um, you would be shocked who did not even reference I was going into massive surgery that I was deeply in community with, who did not offer to pray with me, who did not um, come into that with me, and who did. And it was five years after terrible suffering with the stroke, mm -hmm. and here I'm expecting it to be the same crowd that's going to rally, and not not all good. And I want to respect that, but it was very painful to feel like, you know, some people have had enough of this stuff with Catherine yeah. and she's taken enough of the um, quotient of my ability to, to comfort. I think the hardship is when you're in a circumstance of ongoing struggle, like your medical issues have been, and the weight that that is on a community and the weight of expectation on the community to keep showing up for many, many years. Right. That's, that's, that creates a hard tension. It's a hard thing. And the reality is, for most people, there is a first terribly tragic thing, but then there's a lot after that. You know, I think of people who oftentimes get a cancer diagnosis and then have maybe a radical surgery or something, but then many more things crop up. There's chemo happening right. for, I mean, years are going by and you can start to feel really alone because the people who rallied when there was an emergency mm -hmm. maybe aren't the same people who can sustain yeah. longer term suffering and there's big sensitivity in that of wait where did all my people go right we tend to wait i think you know for six months or so to really reach out when people yeah. go through hardship because we know that's when the dust settles and often people go back to their normal rhythms of life. And right. that is really when you can feel really alone when you've gone through hardship is uh, a year after or whatever, when, right. when you've still got stuff going and the, and the shock is wearing off and yet everybody's had to go back to their life. Um, so I think from the person suffering side, there, there is that struggle and there's that loneliness and there's that question of, wait, why is the community not showing up in the way I thought they would on the reverse side for the caregivers or for the community there is this sense of like, okay, compassion is what we are called to, which side note, and I like articulating this, compassion means to suffer with. Our son takes Latin, and so there's always, you know, to hear the little root words, uh, passion, like the passion of the Christ, you know, that's more uh, not used in the same way that we use it in our culture at the moment, but passion is to suffer, to love and be so invested and in, into something that you would suffer for it. And, um, with, you know, calm, C-O-M means with. So with suffering is really what compassion is about. And so as a community, we get to suffer together. We get to get under the weight of the person's needs and their struggle and hopefully lift everybody's burden a little bit by getting under it. However, over time, you experience what's called compassion fatigue. And you're like, okay, we've been doing this a long time. Right. And I'm yeah. tired of it. Or I'm worse, I'm getting callous to it. Or I don't want to hear the person who I've been trying to help complain about this or that anymore. And and now I feel bad. And so it's this it's just really 
uh, inevitable and kind of a sad experience of what it looks like as humans to do this very unnatural thing, which is to have compassion with each right. other. And yet, I think it's Henry Nouwen says, compassion fatigue, uh, the antidote for compassion fatigue is community. So the very thing that we're trying to do together that's creating this fatigue is actually the the cure for it too. Because look, yeah. I can't maybe show up in this season for this surgery, but somebody else in the community can. And right. this enables us to do something that is so much bigger than the sum of our individual parts. And that's right. the real power of community. We can keep going. I love how somebody said to us once that um, their community told them, we're going to hope for you until you can hope for yourself yes. again. And that is really at its heart what community is about, is you don't have to do anything right now. Like we're going to lift you up and then one day you're going to be able to stand again and then you're going to be able to help lift somebody and else And honestly, up. that's our story. That's totally. what happened totally. is um, there was very much a sense from the early, early days. And I know you felt this even before I was awake yeah. in the hospital of we're going we're gonna to show up. We had... People, what is it? I'm going to mess it up now. Bring meals to the hospital for my family to eat because I wasn't even eating food yet. But for like six months straight, every other day or mm -hmm. something insane. Like, And we're talking, that's a meal for like 10 family members. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just powerful. Yeah. Powerful. But what that was doing was saying you're, you're not alone. We're with you in this. I think, too, of everybody signing up for rounds hourly to, to be stay. in the waiting room. Yes, yes. And we had people stay in the waiting room, never even never seeing you or right. sometimes even seeing us for three weeks straight. Right. Day Every and night, 24-7. Totally people sleeping nuts. Never saw me. In the just... waiting room. And again, it was just, it was a gift to say, with my body, I'm going to incarnationally minister to you. Right. Whether or not I use words or you even see me, it's just for you to know in your heart that you're not alone. And right. And it was transformational for us. Oh, we finally yeah. had to be like, you guys should go home. <laughs> like, You don't need to keep sleeping on the floor of the um, waiting room. Well, yeah. And then if you recall, then the next phase of the hospital in acute rehab, people did the same thing, sign up to be with me for shifts yeah. every hour when you weren't there. Like you'd go take a shower, someone would come. And I had to finally call that off and say, honestly, I'm going to need a little bit of space here. Like I'm going to need an hour <laughs> or two on my own a day. It's a pretty good problem to have. It was real. Yeah. Pretty powerful it's problem. Them to have having my dad have cancer treatment um, inpatient last December. As I walked down, the, I mean, drove my wheelchair, rolled through the hallways of the cancer ward in Emory. Most of the rooms had no one in it mm. um, except the person in the bed, and it would almost make me cry. Um, realizing that what I experienced was not remotely the norm, that we had to tell people, stay out of the hospital room, please, for at least an hour a day <laughs> so she can um, just, you know. Have a moment. Have a moment. Mm -hmm. And so many people are just so lonely. So it's, um, yeah. This is a cry to get out there and visit people at the hospital. It makes a big difference. No kidding. Even no, if you huge. just go to the lobby and leave um, a muffin you got at the coffee shop on the way in, doesn't matter what. It matters and it changes everything. And I know we wouldn't be here today were it not for community. Oh, we just 100%. Wouldn't. Our marriage wouldn't be, our ministry wouldn't be. This is um, a work with sort of two faces on the front of it, on our books or on our, you know, on what we do. 
in our life now, but it is the work and the overflow and the fruits of a community for years, um, lifting us up and cheering us on. And so this one's for y'all. We love you. We're so grateful for you. And uh, we're humbled to get to keep doing life together with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Suffer Strong podcast. You can find out more information on this idea of redefining through our new book, Suffer Strong. You can also find out more info on our ministry, Hope Heals, and our story at hopeheals.com. You can follow us on social media, including Instagram at Hope Heals. Hope to see you soon.